We've been working through the book of Isaiah. It is our practice at this church to just pick a book of the Bible and to work through it so that God, not man, is setting the agenda for what we're lingering over and considering and weighing. Isaiah might seem like a bit of an odd choice. Growing up in the church, I don't remember sitting through a sermon series on Isaiah. And, uh, and I haven't heard of many churches doing that, in part because it's a long book. It can feel a little bit out of reach. But as we've dug into it, we've seen this is, these are sermons for turbulent times. This is the prophet Isaiah prophesying into a turbulent time for Israel as they were coming into it and saying, these are the things you need to hear. And we're finding as a church that our own circumstances have their own turbulence, especially with everything our, our world's been through the last couple of years. And, and to hear these words is good. But I've also been encouraged of hearing of other churches that are working through the book of Isaiah. So uh, Barb and Henry Hutzel, longtime members of our church who mer- recently moved to Waterloo, their church in Waterloo is preaching sequentially through the book of Isaiah. And then in Chicago, the church that our, our Eric and Valerie Nielsen were at a church in Chicago for a while. I was actually there as well, Holy Trinity Church, when I was in Chicago. They have just started a book, uh, a series through the whole book of Isaiah as well. So we're not alone in this journey, but uh, I have found it personally really convicting, helpful, rewarding, and I'm hoping that that's the case for all of you as well. We are in Isaiah chapter 23, so if you would open your Bibles there. If you don't have a Bible uh, with you, you can use the Bible in the pew rack in front of you, and that uh, Isaiah 23 can be found on page 584 there. Um, I'm going to read it in just a moment, but before I do, I just want to explain a few place names, because there's a lot of place names in here, and it might be a little hard to follow if you don't know what's being talked about. So um, the, the oracle concerns Tyre, which was a city on the coast just north of Israel. It's kind of the center of trade. They actually had a little island just off the coast that they used as their port. And Sidon was kind of the sister city of them. So Tyre and Sidon kind of go together. And then you'll also hear the name Tarshish. Tarshish was kind of a a faraway exotic port. People don't know exactly where it was, probably near Spain. There's Cyprus, which is an island just off the coast of Tyre and Sidon. There's a reference to Canaan, which would be the whole region, including all of Phoenicia, which is where Tyre and Sidon were uh, located. And there's also Chaldea, which was the Babylonian area, to, um, that would have been to the west of, of Israel. So, um, east. Reversing it for you got me confused. To the east of Israel. So, those are some place names. Um, you also hear Shihor, which is a, a, a river near the Nile or a body of water near the Nile. Would you stand for the reading of God's word? Isaiah 23. The oracle concerning Tyre. Wail, O ships of Tarshish, for Tyre is laid waste without house or harbor. From the land of Cyprus it's revealed to them. Be still, O inhabitants of the coasts. The merchants of Sidon who cross the sea have filled you, and on many waters Your revenue was the grain of Shihor, the harvest of the Nile. You were the merchant of the nations. Be ashamed, O Sidon, for the sea has spoken, the stronghold of the sea, saying, I've neither labored nor given birth. I've neither reared young men nor brought up young women. 
When the report comes to Egypt, there'll be an anguish over the report about Tyre. Cross over to Tarshish, wail, O inhabitants of the coast. Is this your exultant city whose origin is from days of old, whose feet carried her to settle far away? Who has purposed this? Against Tyre, the bestower of crowns, whose merchants were princes, whose traders were the honored of the earth. Yahweh of hosts has purposed it to defile the pompous pride of all glory, to dishonor all the honored of the earth. Cross over your land like the Nile, O daughter of Tarshish. There's no restraint anymore. He has stretched out his hand over the sea. He has shaken the kingdoms. Yahweh has given command concerning Canaan to destroy its strongholds. And he said, you will no more exult, O oppressed virgin daughter of Sidon. Arise, cross over to Cyprus. Even there you will have no rest. Behold, the land of the Chaldeans. This is the people that was not. Assyria destined it for wild beasts. They erected their siege towers. They stripped her palaces bare. They made her a ruin. Wail, O ships of Tarshish, for your stronghold is laid waste. In that day, Tyre will be forgotten for 70 years like the days of one king. At the end of 70 years, it will happen to Tyre as in the song of the prostitute. Take a harp, go about the city, O forgotten prostitute. Make sweet melody, sing many songs that you may be remembered. At the end of 70 years, Yahweh will visit Tyre. And she will return to her wages and will prostitute herself with the kingdoms of the world on the face of the earth. Her merchandise and her wages will be holy to Yahweh. It will not be stored or hoarded, but the merchandise will supply abundant food and fine clothing for those who dwell before Yahweh. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. You can be seated as we pray. God, we believe that every word in the scriptures is inspired, breathed out by you. This is your word, and therefore it's useful. It's what we need. It's our manna. It teaches us. It rebukes us. It corrects us. It trains us. And so as we look at this seemingly obscure prophecy about a nation we don't even know today, may the realities of what you're speaking to here be brought to bear on our hearts. So together we unite our prayers and ask for the fullness of your spirit, applying it to our hearts and lives. Work now through your word in Christ's name. Amen. Stronghold. It's a word that has a couple different connotations. On, a, on the one hand, it can refer, refer to uh, 
the kind of unassailable grip someone or something can have. For example, one could say, a particular sin has a stronghold in my life. Or you could say, Labrador is a stronghold of the liberals. On the other hand, stronghold can refer to where we run for protection. It's, it's the place of security when we'd otherwise feel insecure. Because we have this impenetrable city, we feel certain security when attacked. Because we have these sources that are secure for our income, we feel a sense of security when the economy is in shambles. This morning, we're ending a section of Isaiah that began all the way back in chapter 13. And it's a list of oracles against specific nations. And as we get to the end, chapter 23, the final oracle, it presses upon us this question. What is your stronghold? What is my stronghold? So at the outset of the sermon, I want to invite all of us to just take a moment to try to identify strongholds in our lives. And I want to give you some questions that might help you as you think about this. When life feels unstable, where do you go to re regain your sense of stability? Or, what is one thing that if you lost it would make you feel the most unsettled? Here's another question in a different vein. When you look out at the world and you're particularly discouraged by the direction it's going, where do you place your hope for writing its direction? Or when you feel overwhelmed and discouraged, where do you turn for comfort? All these questions are getting at what is our stronghold or what are our strongholds? And in many ways, this whole section of Isaiah from chapter 13 to 23 are about, is about strongholds. In some ways, you could say it's a, central theme, it's a central theme of the book of Isaiah, certainly the first half of the book of Isaiah. Sermons for turbulent times. Where are you going to run? Will you behold the Holy One of Israel, or will you run to anyone else or anything else but Him for security? You might have noticed that that word stronghold appeared three times in our chapter. Verse 4, it's there. 
Then verse 11. And then again in verse 14. Now the Hebrew word that's translated stronghold only occurs 35 times in the scriptures. And 10 of those 35 times are in the book of Isaiah. All 10 of those occurrences are clustered between chapter 17 and 30. All that to say it's, it's a somewhat uncommon word that this portion of Isaiah's prophecy is utilizing in order to make a point. And our passage, this chapter 23, this oracle, like many in this section of oracles, is about the destruction of something that could be a stronghold. But in exposing the folly and futility of man-made strongholds, the prophet's aim is to help us renounce our own strongholds and instead cling to the Holy One of Israel. Now, so let's dig into the chapter. As we start to look at it, you might have noticed another word that occurs three times besides the word stronghold. It's there in verse 1, verse 6, and verse 14. Do you see it? It's the word whale. I'm going to use that word whale to kind of divide the passage into three sections. So 1 to 6 will be the first section, then 7 to 14, and then 15 to 18. So let's look first at verses 1 to 6. As I, as I work through this section, this first section, I want you to be thinking about this question. Why were the nations so saddened at the fall of Tyre? Why were the nations so saddened at the fall of Tyre? We can tell right out of the gate that the nations are in focus because the announcement of Tyre's destruction comes in the form there in verse 1 of a call for Tarshish to wail. Tarshish, a far-off exotic port, is wailing for Tyre's destruction. And then we learn they actually receive the news from the island of Cyprus. So the, they're talking about it in Cyprus. The word spreads to Tarshish. Then in verse 2, the shock extends to all the coastlands. So shocked are they that they're all struck dumb. Why? Why are the nations grieved at the fall of Tyre? The second half of verse 2 and verse 3 give us the reason. The merchants of Sidon, that's the sister city of Tyre, across the sea, they filled you. And on many waters, your revenue was the grain of Shihor, the harvest of the Nile. You were the merchant of the nations. So it's saying, hey, all the different nations have been blessed by you. Here's how that worked. Tyre and Sidon 
had become kind of sister cities. Tyre had the, the, the island just off the coast, about 500 meters off the coast. There's a little Tyre here and then Sidon as well. And together, they had become, they'd come to dominate the sea trade. Because the island of Tyre was this well-fortified island, but also this harbor that was a key port in all the Mediterranean, perhaps the key port in all of the Mediterranean, but also because they had, um, they had the best shipbuilders. They had the greatest, most impressive, most durable ships, and they had the best sailors. They dominated the sea. There's an ancient poem about Tyre, and this is an excerpt of it. You extend your boundaries into the sea. Your builders made your beauty perfect. You were like a great ship built of the finest cypress. They took a cedar from Lebanon to make a mast for you. They carved your oars from the oak of Bashan. Your deck of pine from the coast of Cyprus was inlaid with ivory. Your sails were made of Egypt's finest linen, and they flew as a banner above you. So her prowess at sea was unsurpassed. And that prowess enabled her not only to become wealthy herself, but, and this is the key, to facilitate everyone else's wealth. She was the benevolent lord of the sea. You may recall that she gladly helped Solomon build his temple. Her domestic policy was strongly in favor of peace, unless, of course, the power that in charge was trying to subdue her. But she was Madame Luxury, and she facilitated the wealth and luxury of others. If you glance your eyes down at verse 8, you see that her sailors were welcomed and celebrated, heroes of their day, by establishing or strengthening far away ports and cities, she was a bestower of crowns. She not only lived the dream that we all want to live, she facilitated the living of the dream for us who want to live it. Maybe you could say she was the Wells Fargo wagon of the music man fame. Or she was the Wellerman supply ship from the old sea shanty. Or she was Santa Fe from the Newsies or Camelot from the medieval world. But unlike Camelot, she was real. Not just an out there dream. So when Tyre, Tyre is left without house or harbor as verse 1 says. We all Whale. If Tyre, the stronghold of the sea, is left barren and childless, as verse 4 says, what is to become of the rest of us? If the wealthy and the benevolent and the honored cannot enter the kingdom of heaven, who then can be saved? 
so mighty Egypt is in anguish in verse 5. Everyone who lives along the coast joins Tarshish in her wailing, verse 6. You see, when Camelot dies, we all wail. When the honored men who helped line our pockets are undone, we all weep. As I mentioned, Tyre was a stronghold, that well-defended island port. But she was also a stronghold in other ways for all the nations. Without her, the wealth and luxury that we find so comforting and stabilizing, they're gone. And so verses 1 to 6, this first section, show us the nations grieving, wailing over the fall of Tyre. Why were the nations grieving? Because their Camelot had died. Their stronghold of luxury and wealth was destroyed. Now, as I mentioned, the second section runs from chapter, or verse, 17, verse 7 to verse 14. And our, this section, the second section, begins with a, a series of probing questions. So as we look at this section, let's also have a question on our mind that should direct our thinking about it. And it's this. Who has caused this? Who has caused this destruction of Tyre? I mean, we're talking about the great city of Tyre, that ancient city, the unshakable port. We're talking about the city whose footprints span the known world. This is the bestower of crowns, the city whose sailors are treated like princes, whose traitors are the honored of the earth. See how the question's being posed in verses 7 and 8? Who has purposed this against her? And the answer comes in verse 9. Yahweh of hosts. That is to say, the Yahweh who leads the armies of heaven. Yahweh who defiles the pompous pride of all glory. Yahweh, who dishonors all the honored of the earth. Yahweh, who sees our attempts to build a Babel-like tower and in response scatters us. Yahweh, who sees his own creatures struggling to create their own glory and their own honor instead of finding their life and joy in him. Such rebellious and self-destructive behavior grieves his heart because he sees the folly of it. I'm just, just trying to just... It's a, it's a little bit like a, a child who has good parents but is so stubborn and confident that they could do a better job that they actually leave their parents 
and try to establish things on their own. It's foolish and it's also sad because this will not end well for the child. Jesus taught us that many who will be first, who are first, will be last. And many who are last will be first. That we who have luxury and ease on this earth will so often find the tables turned for eternity. Isaiah later will tell us, the one whom God esteems is he who is humble and contrite and trembles at his word. Who grasp, in a sense, that there is a God who created all of this and is able to begin to fathom all that means and therefore yield to the potter instead of rebelling against him. When we mere men totter around, making strongholds for ourselves, patting ourselves on the back, living like God is just another good luck charm and chasing a comfort and a security made by our own hands. When we live like this, Yahweh of the heavenly armies will tear those strongholds down. Look at what he says he'll do in verses 10 and 11. Stronghold of the sea, meet the God who made the seas. He stretches out his hand, and not just Tyre and Sidon, but the whole region of Canaan is shaken And you see what's shaken at the end of verse 11? To destroy its strongholds. Because of this, Tarshish runs about her land like the flooding Nile in unrestrained confusion. Tyre is done. And Tyre itself will flee to Cyprus for leaf, but even there find no rest. That's verse 12. And then in verse uh, 13 and 14, or in verse 13, I should say, we get the big timestamp. Okay, when, when was that email sent? When, when is, when's this all going to happen? When's the timestamp? We learn it's when the Assyrians come and stomp on the Chaldeans, which is roughly 709 BC. It's saying, Tyre, once you see the Babylonians fall, then you'll know your time is up. You'll know it's time to, verse 14, wail. Why are they going to wail, those ships of Tarshish? For your stronghold is laid waste. We can try to explain God away. We can deny him, suppress him, 
put her faith in man's wisdom and reason. If you're hearing the sermon and, and that's where you're at, that's a choice you can make. But all of us are hearing God's word this morning and God is telling us plainly He is in the business of destroying pompous pride, of exposing its folly, of bringing down all that we lift up. Our strongholds will be taken from us. That's exactly where chapters 24 to 27 go. They take all the specifics that are laid out about specific cities or nations in 13 to 23, and they show how they're actually part of the grand story that's going to play out on a cosmic scale. Yes, the Assyrians conquered the early Chaldeans, just as Isaiah said. Yes, the Assyrians destroyed Tyre's dominance upon the sea and rendered their powerfully tra- powerful trading moot, just as Isaiah said. Yes, this was a terrible outcome for all who depended on Tyre's ships for their wealth. Assyria upended the economy, asserted itself as the financial center, which was devastating for any who weren't aligned with Assyria. But we're not told about this for the sake of some nifty history lesson. Nor is it a mere proof text that the prophet of God was right yet again. No. This was written for our benefit so that we would be warned against making anything but Yahweh our stronghold. You see how Yahweh refers to Tyre in verse 12? O oppressed virgin daughter. It made me think just a few chapters back of when Yahweh foretold the destruction of Moab, yet there's mourning over that very destruction. Because here Yahweh likens Tyre under the cruel thumb of the bloody Assyrians to an oppressed young maiden. She chose her own course and the just God must show her where that leads but even still his heart aches to see the agony. I think many of us who are parents have felt this. As we administer necessary punishment that still breaks our hearts to dole out. I want you to know, I want us all to know, God cares for you. He cares for me. He wants us to find our safety and shelter in Him, not in the pompous pride of our own glory. Who's done all this? It's Yahweh. To bring down the pompous pride, to dishonor the honored, ultimately, so that we'll run to Him.
We've covered all three whales now, so that means we're in our third section. Verses 15 to 18. The first section we asked why the nations were weeping. Then we asked who had done this. And the question for this last section that we can think about is this. What will ultimately become of this stronghold? What will ultimately become of this stronghold? In verse 15, we're told that her downfall will be for 70 years. But it seems to indicate right after that that that's just a a rough number. The idea being it will last the lifetime of one kind of healthy, he's got all the care, man, a king. So, the idea here is one generation. And after those, that one generation, two actions will follow. The first, in verses 15 and 16, an old forgotten prostitute will sing the latest ditty, hoping to seduce the nations once again. Remember back when you would get what you wanted because I provided that I would get what I wanted? Remember the great relationship we once had? Let's rekindle it, baby. It's a bit of a cringy image, I think. I don't think it's a perfect analogy, but it might be kind of like an aging Dolly Parton trying so hard to look like she's still in her 20s. That's the first action. But there's a second, more significant action You see it in verse 17. Yahweh visits Tyre. This is not a visit like when grandma drops by just for a visit. You see, when Yahweh visits, he's not coming for tea. He doesn't have candy in his purse. Yahweh is always present In his spirit, he's always aware of what's happening in our lives, in our nations. So when he visits, it's because he's intervening in a very specific and pointed way. It's a little bit more like when the police knock on your door. They're here on official business. And for Tyre, Yahweh's official business is to graciously restore them. They get to return to prominence, and despite some choppy moments, they're going to continue plying their seafaring trade all the way until Alexander the Great conquers them some 300 years more of Mediterranean dominance God grants them. The prophet who foretells this generational pause in Tyre's dominance wants to make equally clear what will be the cause of her regained prominence. Prominence. And it's not some sappy love song sung by an aging has-been. Rather, it is the visit of Yahweh himself 
a gracious restoration follows the gracious judgment. And the question then is, will Tyre be reformed? Will she learn her lesson? We don't let go of our strongholds very easily. But like the little toddler with their favorite toy, clinging to it, mine, 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 you can't have it. We're slow to reform. How hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's easier for a camel to enter through the eye of a needle. And so Tyre goes back to her old ways. God judges her pompous pride. He humbles her. He dishonors her. And then when he graciously restores her, a second chance, as one might say, like a dog returning to its vomit, Tyre clings to her, her glory, refusing to yield to Yahweh. And so what ultimately becomes of her cherished strongholds? What becomes of this wealth and luxury, according to verse 18? Look there. Her merchandise and her wages will be holy to Yahweh will not be stored or hoarded, but her merchandise will supply abundant food and fine clothing for those who dwell before Yahweh. Now this happens in a very literal way, not a complete way, but some of the timber and supplies that Tyre is known for were used in the remaking of the the temple after the return from exile. You can read about that in Ezra 3. But it's fulfilled in a much more profound way because the prophet Zechariah, who would come after Isaiah, picks up Isaiah's image from here and expands it. And he talks about the close of the age when, and he doesn't use Jesus' name, but when Yahweh or when Jesus returns and he conquers all the nations, he collects their wealth. And all that wealth goes into a new and glorious and permanent temple. And the items in that temple are labeled holy to Yahweh, Zechariah tells us in chapter 14 of his prophecy. But the most profound image from that chapter is this. Though conquered by Yahweh, some of those conquered nations end up worshiping Yahweh. So it sounds like at the end of Isaiah's oracle against Tyre, they're toast. But but you read and you're like, but are they? I'm not sure. And Zechariah picks up, he's like, well, they're toast. The end of the age, but some will worship. But your pile of money, that's your stability, your stronghold. It's all going to end up belonging to God. The nations that seem so lofty, so permanent, so impenetrable, 
they will serve God's purposes in the end. Now, all of us, all of us can run to Jesus and find the forgiveness that he offers. And for those who do, when he takes all the wealth of the nations and makes them part of his permanent kingdom, we get to enjoy that. The tables turn in eternity. Those who are last will be first. The spoil of the nations will be Yahweh's forever. I mean, you, you can keep trying to hold on to your spoils, desperately cling to them, only to have them plucked from your grip and to, then to discover how fleeting unstable, and unstable they really are. I began the sermon by encouraging each of us to identify strongholds in our lives. And maybe when I asked those questions, your mind went to Jesus Christ. His forgiveness and the security of a restored relationship with your heavenly Father is your stronghold. I would hope that would be true for many of us. And yet at the same time, most of us probably thought of other competing strongholds. I know I did. Yahweh, of hosts, Yahweh of armies, is set on defiling our pompous pride. As the oracle concerning Tyre illustrates, illustrates such strongholds will be brought down. In particular, the strongholds rooted in wealth and luxury and comfort. Either the presence of them or the dream of them. Sometimes it's just the dream of them that's our stronghold, right? Those strongholds are ephemeral. They're an illusion, a vapor that will dissipate in a moment. Maybe soon, like they did for Tyre. Maybe we'll only see it in eternity. But our man-made strongholds, no matter how much we love them, fail us. So let's let go of them. Pry your fingers off of them. And run to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, sermons for turbulent times. And we've been through some turbulence. And when we do, where are we running? Where are we finding our safety and our security and our, our sense of stability? Expose to us the, the vain folly of our man-made idols so that we can find our rest in Christ alone. Do that even today through this passage from Isaiah 23. In Christ's name, amen.